0: Before we begin the podcast, I just wanna say that my audio is not turned on for the video, so you hear me as an echo. It sucks, but I did not do a lot of talking, so I hope you can enjoy anyways. See you on the flip side. Hello and welcome to the Words the Point podcast. Today I have a special guest. His name is Aaron Rosenow. He's my pastor at Faith Lutheran Church. We had a good time talking. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Words of Point podcast. Today I have a very special guest. He's my pastor, Aaron Rose Now, How's it going? Good. Good? Yeah so uh i asked when i asked you to do this podcast what, what did you, what went through your head what did you think
1: i thought wow adam Schmidt has a podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I should check it out
0: did you actually check it out i have not no yeah. well beware there's some episodes i mean this is my 13th now okay and the first like 10 are just me figuring out how to even do this sure I mean, yeah yeah I never hosted anything so, but yeah, I know that's interesting. Anyways, as we talked about prior, um, mm-hmm. how did you, uh, get into the ministry? I know you always said, um, you started off, you went to school to be an architect, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and yeah. then things switched. What happened?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I grew up when I was young. My parents were involved with church. They had been, uh, volunteers with the youth program at our church, uh, somewhere around I don't know when I was 8 to 12 Mm -hmm. we just stopped going to church altogether Uh, maybe went Christmas Eve maybe went Easter but then we got a letter from the church saying hey your son is seventh grade it's time for confirmation class you want him to be registered for confirmation class because in the Lutheran Church what we do is seventh and eighth grade Instruction leading to a moment when students stand up and say, Yes, this I believe. And it's not just my parents saying I believe it anymore, but now I believe it for myself. And so that confirmation at the end of eighth grade typically is what I was, you know, I was getting into that, uh, aging into seventh and eighth grade. So um, got a letter from the church. Okay, it's time to sign up for confirmation class. Mm -hmm. So I went, and it was once a week in the evening. And it kind of like what it is here at faith. And so, uh, I went, my parents dropped me off every week, picked me up afterwards and we lived maybe like 20 minutes from the church. So it was, you know, it was a little bit of a hike to get there, but not too big a deal. And, um, going into eighth grade, then we got a letter from the church saying, well, your son is going in eighth grade, but now we, we don't re- just require him to be at church for confirmation class, but he needs to be in worship 75% of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: So, uh, so we started to go a little bit more often. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably weren't hitting the 75%, but we we're still going to church more often. Right. But then at the end of eighth grade year it was may of 1989 if i remember right i have a bible actually has an inscription for my grandparents who gave me a bible for my confirmation has my name on the front and the inside has the date and um, after that confirmation in may 1989 i just dropped off the planet as far as the church is concerned i stopped going to church again and all through then high school and most of college, I maybe went to church, uh, you know, half a dozen times. Yeah. In fact, I remember one time it had been a while. We wanted to go to church for Christmas Eve and we wanted to go to the midnight service. We knew that Christmas Eve they had a midnight service mm-hmm. and we figure midnight service means 12 midnight, yeah. but it actually started at 11 PM and went until midnight. And so we showed up five minutes before the end of the service, oh, thinking that we were five minutes before the start of service. And we caught the, the last song and then went right back home. <laughs> because, I mean, that's how out of touch from church we were. Yeah. We just, uh, and, and this, this is the days before internet mm-hmm. where you can just look up the church times and yeah. worship times. So, you know, we, um, we missed out. But anyway, when I was in college, then I was studying to be an architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was around my third year of college. I was I was really at a low point. And I, I like to tell people that it, it, this is something that's possible. You can be surrounded by people mm-hmm. and still feel utterly alone. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where I was. I had, you know, some relationships that went south. I had, um, just, I wasn't feeling comfortable with architecture as much as I thought I would. I just was feeling purposeless, directionless, mm-hmm. friendless. Um, just, I was at a low point. My parents were going through divorce. Uh, it was just, just an ugly time of life. And, um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll try out church. It had been years, but I'll try out church. So did you go like in your college? So there's in the college town is this Muncie, Indiana, Ball State University. I went to the local Lutheran congregation because that's where I grew up, Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went in, but I, I got there purposely just as worship started. And I sat in the very back the very last pew, and as soon as uh, as soon as we were singing the last song, the last verse of the last song, I stood up and walked out so I wouldn't have to greet anybody. I just you know snuck in, snuck out, yeah. basically. So I'm back in my architecture studio at Ball State, and this is you know a huge room. It's, I mean, there are big drafting tables across this dozens and dozens of them across the room and I'm in actually in one corner where my desk was and I'm lifting my head up and there are these two guys they're just acquaintances of mine didn't know them much but I knew of them they're walking across the room there are not very many people in there so I'm like where are they going but they're headed toward me (laughs) and sure enough they stop at my my table and they said hey uh, we saw you in church on Sunday but you didn't stick around long enough for us to say hi afterwards, and so I was yeah yeah I was there I was sitting in the back I really didn't want to talk to anybody but you know just kind of I was at a low point needed needed some Jesus and uh, they said hey you know what we on Wednesday evenings we play volleyball The group of us from the church play volleyball now most people have no clue what volleyball is but it is basically volleyball on a racquetball court really so if you think about the material of a racquetball mm-hmm. that kind of rubber you have a volleyball sized racquetball with a net strung across the middle and so you can bump it set it spike it off of the walls and everything okay. same rules you know you have two teams yeah. playing back and forth but you know you have three hits to hit it over the net, but you can actually spike it off the wall, much like you would a racquetball. So, so anyway, this group of students from the church and the college ministry were getting together Wednesday nights to play volleyball. And I said, Hmm, sounds like fun. Never played before. So I went to check it out and went with these two acquaintances of mine who then became good friends and later roommates of mine, uh, toward the end of college Um, we went and played volleyball and I got to know some of the people in that college ministry at the Lutheran church, started going more often with them. And so when I, uh, when I went to church one time, rather than sitting in the very back, I was sitting right in the middle and straight back from where the pulpit was. And I can remember very vividly that there was a, there was a guest preacher one Sunday and this, uh, I came to find out later that he was uh, he was doing college ministry, teenage ministry around our entire church body around the United States, and he came for a visit and preached for the the church. I think as past the pastors were on vacation or something, yeah. so we had a this guest come in and he was preaching on uh, there are three parables that Jesus teaches in Luke fifteen. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. That's probably the most familiar one, the prodigal yeah. son. But Jesus says something there in Luke 15. And when he was preaching about it, it was as if he were speaking directly to me and looking in my eyes because he gets, gets to Luke 15 verse 10, where Jesus says, uh, I tell you, in the same way there is celebration among the angels of God over one sinner who comes to repentance. He's talking about the kind of celebration you have, like the shepherd loses one sheep, but he goes and finds it. And then he lifts it up on his shoulders, takes it back. He says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Mm -hmm. Or the woman who has 10 very precious coins and and she loses one. She turns the whole house upside down trying to find this one coin. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found the lost coin. Mm -hmm. And so in that same way, there's a party in heaven. Over one sinner who comes to repentance. And it was like the pastor was saying to me, Aaron, there's a party among the angels in heaven over you coming to repentance today. And it was the way I like to describe it is like, if you have some kind of a a container that is vacuum sealed and there's no air in it, right? You suck all the air. It's a vacuum but you puncture through the outer wall of that container. Mm -hmm. What happens to that vacuum? Right. It sucks in instantaneously. It sucks in air Mm -hmm. faster than you can snap. Um, That was when I heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that there's a party over me. That was like hitting my heart, my soul with Good news that filled up my heart instantaneously with joy and grace and love that I desperately needed, and that was the first piece that really got me on the track of I'm going to be a pastor. But I didn't, I didn't have that sense of it then. I, I mean, I was getting back into church. I was hearing the good news again. I'm as God loves me. No kidding. Uh, Even when I don't feel like I have any friends um, at this low point, but this is exactly what I need to hear filling me up. And uh, so then after my third year, I had to do an internship. So the program I was a part of in the architecture college was designed to have a six month internship. And I, uh, I was able to do that in Indianapolis where I grew up, where my parents still lived stayed with my mom while I worked this six month internship and another one of those vivid memories where it was like five o'clock in the morning, two hours before I needed to get up. But I was kind of in that twilight zone where you're, right. you're not exactly asleep, but you're not exactly awake either. It's a, it's a haze. Uh, and I re- I remember hearing clear as day, but but not he, not hearing with my ears, but hearing with my soul. Mm-hmm. You are going to the seminary, and you are going to be a pastor. And I remember waking up thinking, "What the heck is a seminary?" <laughs> <laughs> you know what seminary is, right? Yeah, it's
0: school
1: it, for pastors. Yeah. So um, the way that I had one person put it to me is, seminary is the pits. It's a pastor in training school, okay. P-I-T-S pits, <laughs> right? That's where pastors go to be pastors. Yeah. So, um, so I had no idea. I mean, I kind of knew what a seminary was. I mean, I had another one of the guys that was in that college ministry had already talked about going to be a pastor. So I, I mean, I, I jokingly say I didn't know what a seminary was. I knew kind of what, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. You know, well, what, what, does it, what does it mean? What does that entail? What does it mean to be a pastor but I clearly heard this, you are going to the seminary and you are going to be a pastor. Now, I, I woke up thinking, did I eat something weird last night? And this is <laughs> disagreeing with me or what? Yeah, was yeah you know, uh, was last night's pizza or chili or whatever I had. But the very next weekend, I'm not kidding, the very next weekend was the uh, up at, uh, at the college church. Okay. It was an hour away from home. Um, so Muncie is an hour north of Indianapolis. Um, the next weekend was the opening weekend of the school year for that new academic year. Yeah. So I had started my internship in the summer. Now it was August and they were about to have a celebration for the beginning of mm-hmm. school. And I was invited to come up and actually carry the processional cross yeah. for worship. Now in the Lutheran church, you know, uh, you put on a white robe over your clothes, and the idea of that is that, you know you that you're covered over in the perfection of Christ. It's not, so I, it's not the person on display, it's not the pastor who is special, but it's Christ who is special. So we're clothed in the perfection of Christ. That's the idea of the white robe. So the pastor wears the robe, uh, what's called an acolyte, the person who lights the candles, has a white robe. And the person carrying the cross has a white robe. So I had never done anything like that before. I never served as an acolyte, which in a Lutheran tradition is something that eighth graders and ninth graders sometimes do around their confirmation. They get to light the candles. You might have done that here. And, um, so, so I invited my mom to come along with, and so she came to the worship service too. And I carried the cross in and there was a recessional too. So I carried the cross out at the end of service and in the tradition of the church, you know, everybody focuses on the cross and they turn as the cross passes by them. And so we finish the service face to the back of the church instead of the front because Christ is now, he's leading the way out into the community. That's yeah. kind of the idea of it. And um, so I carry the cross out. And then after, after the service is over, then I'm waiting as people are clearing out so I can take the cross back up to the front where it normally sits in between services and during the worship service. And so I introduced my mom to the pastor there as I'm standing there waiting to take the cross back up to the front. And he's talking to my mom and he looks at me. He looks at my mom. He looks at me. He, he does this kind of thing with his eyes where he looks down and up like he's looking at what I'm wearing. I'm wearing this white robe. And he says, he looks over at my mom. He says, he looks good, doesn't he? Maybe we can make a pastor out of him yet. This is just days after I had this voice in my head that says you're going to go to the seminary and be a pastor, and so he said maybe we can make a pastor out of him yet. And I had to do a double take like, did he just say this? You know, it, and that was an affirmation. Yeah. You know, here's and this kind of thing where you, know, if you say you hear the voice of God, and there are people in in the Christian world who will say. I heard God say to me, or God spoke to me, or God said to me. Sometimes you wonder if you can believe what they say, because it doesn't quite line up with what God has said other places in the Bible. And so like, can you really believe that? Or you mean you heard the voice of God? I can only claim that I've heard this one time. And was it God or was it a messenger from God or is it some voice in my own head as I'm trying to, you know, pull all the pieces together? I still don't know that with certainty, but I think when you have those moments of, I think this is what God's saying. Mm -hmm. I think this is what God's telling me to do. You have to step back and say, is that God or is that me or is that some other voice of, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm hearing things around the world and my mind is trying to make sense of it all. What What's going on with that? And so you try to look for some things that are either affirming or disaffirming of what you've heard. So this pastor saying th- this just days afterwards, I'm thinking maybe I need to pay attention.
0: Yeah. And even though that was such an Comment, maybe for him, from his perspective, it meant so. I mean, exactly. Of the rest of your life. Right, exactly.
1: It's, isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah, so that pastor had no idea. And I, don't, I still don't know even to this day if he has any clue that I'm a pastor and that his comment, because after that, he moved away to another state and I've never seen him again. Yeah. So I have no idea if he has any idea that one passing comment from him made that kind of an impact. Mm-hmm. And then at so, I, so I'm going through this process of trying to discern. And discernment, it really is you have good on the left, bad on the right, mm-hmm. or vice versa, how you, you know, whatever side you want to put good, in, good or bad on. Yeah. And you're trying to cut a path in between. Because a lot of times we think it's black, it's white. Mm-hmm. And no, there's a lot of black and white, and there's gray in between. And you're trying to figure out where through this path am I supposed to go? Because it's not always clear. And so discernment is trying to cut through that and decide what's of God, what's not of God, what's good, what's bad. And so I spent this season, I was still doing my internship. Um, I had these moments of you're going to go to the seminary, you're going to be pastor. Can't we make a pastor out of him yet? And then, um, Telling my girlfriend at the time, she was my girlfriend. Yeah. She's now my wife okay. of 22 and a half years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the time we were dating and uh, I'm telling her about it, what, what I'm thinking. She cried for two hours when I told her I was going to be a pastor because she thought if she was going to be in her mind. We were going to get married someday, yeah. even though we had not really said it. We haven't, we hadn't, we were not, we were not engaged, but she's like, this relationship's going somewhere, mm. and I'm thinking I'm marrying an architect,
0: <laughs>
1: and now you're telling me you're going to be a pastor. This doesn't compute. And she grew up Catholic. Okay. Catholic priests do not have wives. Yeah. And the pastors that she knew from my church, um, she didn't really know the pastors' wives, but from what she could tell, she just she had a very different personality than they did. Mm. And she's like, I don't want to be that. And so she just <laughs> cried about it. That was one of those moments where like, am I really making the right choice? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and so, w- wait, so yeah, right. I, I had I had these affirmations. This doesn't seem to be an affirmation. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. you know, take a step back. And then as but we got through that, we talked through it. And um, we actually had, a, I, it's a much longer story to tell how she came around to understanding this was the right place to be Mm -hmm. and the right direction of life to go. But as we were coming to that uh, together, I had two people. I was deathly afraid to tell that I was making a change from being an architect to being a pastor because I'm, you know, here I am. I've completed my internship. I'm in my fourth year and I had, I actually had to make a choice at that point. I could get a four-year degree, which is technically a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Design, okay. or go for a fifth year and get my Bachelor of Architecture. And I chose to get the first, the four-year degree, because I can get the Bachelor degree. Because go to, to go to the seminary, it's a, it's a master's program. Okay. And I could have a bachelor's in anything. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter whether that was in meteorology or architecture or biblical languages or history or communication. I could have a bachelor's in anything, but the seminary is a master's. So uh, I decided I'm going to go to the seminary. I'm going to get the four year degree and uh, making that choice. I was deathly afraid to tell two people. One was my dad because I had this vision in my mind of my dad saying, you mean I spent all this money sending you to architecture college and now you're not going to use that,
0: Yeah.
1: you know, almost like a disappointed.
0: Yeah. And that was, it could have been partially in your head as well. But that, like, right. Yeah. right. Right.
1: So the other person was my college roommate who ended up being my best man in my wedding. He and I grew up in high school together, okay. went to college. We were roommates, uh, he knew the life I lived before I came back into church. He knew some of the, you know, the debates that we had about politics and girls and alcohol and parties and everything, you know, all that kind of stuff that was a part of my life in college. And, um, and I thought he's going to say what you can't be who you have been and be a pastor.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, I told my college roommate first of the two that seemed the lesser of two evils. (laughs) And so so (laughs) I I told him, um, as we had a small gathering of people and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm changing up. I'm going to get my four year degree, not stay fifth year. I'm going to go to the seminary and be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, I always thought that you would do something like that. Wow. And not as an accusatory, like, you know, I always knew you were going to do something like, you know, no, it was like, wow. Yeah. I I always knew you were that kind of guy. So somewhere deep down, even when my shenanigans in college, um, he saw a guy that was pastor material. Yeah. Um, So that was, you know, okay. There's another door open to continue step through the affirmation, right? Uh, toward this. And then I told my dad, Although it was really sort of a, I had told my grandmother first, which is his mother. (laughs) Okay. And I have an uncle, my dad's brother, Mm -hmm. who is retired now, but he was a Lutheran pastor also. He has lived almost his whole life in California. And my whole life at that point was in Indiana. And so I didn't know him much, but, you know, so anyway, My grandmother knew was very faithful Lutheran. And um, so I had told her and she said something sort of in a roundabout way to my dad. And so I brought it up out of necessity because he said, so what's this about you wanting to change a career path or something like that? I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but it was like, oh, I guess I better say something about this. And I said, yeah, here's my plan. I'm going to get this four-year degree and then I'm going to go and I'm going to be a pastor. And then, you know, then you kind of step back and you brace for impact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But instead of having to brace myself, um, it was very different experience. Um, I explained what I was going to do and he said, Aaron, that would make me very proud. Wow. And that just, you know that was that was the last affirmation i needed yeah. to step through that door and follow what i felt god was leading me to do yeah. and that's how i got into ministry um and another piece to that was and, and i think that people come to this point where especially if you're getting back into church or maybe it's been a while or you go off to college and you're trying to seek direction you're trying to figure things out and you have lots and lots of questions. And in those days I was getting back into church. I had tons of questions yeah. and I would go into the pastor's office apart from the worship, apart from Bible studies that he was leading. That I was a part of, I went into his, into his office because I said, well, here's something that here. What, what's this about? Or here's something I read. What's that about? And, uh, and he said, finally, he's answering questions, answering questions. But then he said, Aaron, I don't know. He said, he said, Aaron, I don't know. Like he couldn't answer one of my questions. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? You're my pastor. You're supposed to be giving me direction. And, and it was one of those things where like, okay, I need to learn some of these things for myself then. Because, um, I, I, I just need to, I need to dig into the truth. And if someone can't answer the questions I have, maybe I need to be resourced mm-hmm. to find those answers myself. And that's what, I mean, going to the seminary for four years, a four-year process, it's a lot of learning. And I was learning a ton, still am learning a ton. I've been a pastor for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say I am a, a lifelong insatiable learner. I'm never satisfied. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. And um, and that it's been kind of that road of going to the seminary allowed me to figure some of those things out that others couldn't answer for me. Right. And, then, and then one of the things I love to do as a pastor is to help people who also have lots of questions to figure out how to get those answers. Right. And one of my favorite things to do is teaching. And that just, just kind of comes out. Yeah. Uh,
0: and I mean, from what I'm hearing, it's it's almost like you like to like to uh, teach someone to fish, not
1: right, right, not exactly fish. give them the fish, but teach them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No doubt.
0: That's, that's really cool. Um, to bring it back to that moment when you like heard something, you realized something, you said something spoke to your soul, kind of stems from that idea of like. Where do thoughts come from? Like where Mm -hmm. do these like things like I was telling you when we were talking about my book about how I just came to the conclusion driving one day and and then you have that period of time which you Mm -hmm. described beautifully where you're trying to figure out what said that, who said that, where did that come from? Right. And I think a lot of times people just conclude it came from some outside source Mm -hmm. instinctually for that reconciliation and that's where Mm -hmm. you get a lot of those oh well God spoke me to do this and it might not even be the right thing to do
1: yeah I think that there are some people who mistake their own voice for the voice of God Mm -hmm. you know this is what I want to do this is what I feel is right to do and there's a coalescing I guess of your thoughts and feelings that then all of a sudden you 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 have a thought, you feel like someone's speaking to you, but you attribute that, well, oh, it must be God saying this. Yeah. That can happen. Of course. God can speak to people. God can do anything he wants, mm-hmm. right? And he has spoken to people in the past. I mean, the Bible is full of stories. If we're going to believe that the Bible is, um, is, a revelation of God mm-hmm. to people, to human beings who cannot see God. Uh, if, if we were to believe that the Bible is that God's revealing himself to the world, then um, we, we believe that God has spoken to people. He can do that, right. but you have to be really careful when you're hearing that in yourself. And like I said, you have to spend some time discerning, is that really God or did, did I just make that up? Is that my own voice in my own head?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and it's not to say that if you're, if it's not God, it's necessarily a bad thing. I think God can work through our thoughts, work through our emotions, but we have to be able to, in a disciplined way, work through and, analyze, almost second guess, Mm -hmm. and not second guess in a bad, rebellious way, but just to affirm whether that is consistent with what God would say. You know, let's say um, uh, God calls on people to love and show mercy. Uh, If if someone said, well, God told me to burn down that church, or God told me to... Shoot that, you know, probably not. You know, there's some things that God says that, again, if we believe the Bible is true, the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. He's going to be the same God. So what he speaks to us in Revelation in the Bible is going to be what he would speak to you if you were going to speak to you. I think, you know, where ideas come from. Often, they can be God speaking through dreams, visions, thoughts, emotions. But sometimes it's also just a, a convergence of the reality in which you're living in. And a whole bunch of pieces. I read something, and I, I wish I could put my finger on exactly where the quote is from. But it was talking about innovation, that those who are especially innovative people aren't necessarily the most creative as in, they're just picking something out of thin air and they're saying, whoop, here you go. But they are intuitive and they pick up on trends that are underlying that maybe most people don't recognize until after they have pulled, well, what's going on in culture here and what is going on in technology here and what's going on with what people are saying here. And they pull those three, four, five things together and go, boom, here's the Apple telephone. Mm-hmm. You know? it's like, <laughs> right. uh, uh, Or whatever technology or whatever innovation, whatever new idea. It's not necessarily a new idea. It's just a Convergence of a whole bunch of other things, yeah. and so anyway, where, wherever that quote is from, it it was talking about how innovation or those who are innovative are are really just taking the the pieces that are stray pieces and pulling them together mm-hmm. into a common place, mm-hmm. and and I would definitely say any creativity I've ever had is pretty much that I'm not coming up with something new. It's just that it might be taking something else that was already started and thinking it in a new direction or new from a new angle. Right. Um, and maybe that's consistent with what the Bible also says there's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> <laughs> which the Bible actually does say.
0: Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. To use an analogy, um, that I was thinking of while you're talking is when you're talking about that idea of like there's black and white and gray in between it's almost Mm -hmm. like you're started on one side of a forest and you Mm -hmm. have to weave between the trees and Mm -hmm. find your end goal at the end Mm -hmm. but you don't know where you're going and you're going to hit a tree you're going to have to climb over a hill whatever it may be those obstacles are going to be in the way no matter what right right a lot of people stop with uh, before the forest They don't like to... Well, they they would...
1: Yeah, I think that most people would rather uh, go to the left or the right completely around the forest, right? Yeah. Whereas uh, we have no choice but to be right in the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And there will be some times when we have to turn to the right or to the left or to climb up or to descend down... Because you can't go just straight. I would say that there is a purpose. You know, we don't want to be aimless. That it doesn't matter whether you go to the left and continue down the path to the left, or go to the right and continue it down the path to the right. Uh, I think there is some wisdom in finding the correct path because, you know, cutting in between in between those trees and other obstacles, there is a, there, there's good reason to be on the, on the correct path, the right direction. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to get there and you have to discern Should I go around it this way, or around it this way, go over it, through it, whatever. Um. Yeah. I mean, for my Christian faith, I say, God has me on a path toward heaven. Mm. And while I'm on that path toward heaven, it's not going to be an easy hike. If you look at the Old Testament, people, the people of God who are walking through the desert, yeah. it's 40 years wandering the desert. We may be wandering through trees or some other obstacle. Uh, still trying to discern okay i'm still going that direction i'm still going straight ahead i might have to fight my way through might have to go around this way or that way i'm not going to the extremes right or left but i'm still trying to discern my way through so you know to use your analogy you know you're still uh, yeah i mean i think that it would be um unwise to say it doesn't matter where you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, because going to the left may just end up putting me in a position where there's a cliff and I have no further progress yeah. I can make, right? It's just, it's the end of the road. Or puts me in some other uh, bad predicament. I make choices in my life that have irreparable consequences. I did something that. Put me in jail because I went that direction. Um, I have financial consequences or relational consequences if I continue down that road. Um, it destroyed my family, destroyed my marriage because I went down that road instead of staying on the straight path. Um, you know, so there there are consequences to choosing one or the other, mm-hmm. and why there's wisdom in going uh with a purpose in a direction that God gives. So again, to use your analogy, I think there, you know, you have to be careful not just to say, eh it doesn't matter. I think I think the reality that and see if I ever write a book, you're talking about writing a book, if I ever write a book, it's gonna be something about life is gray. Or the Bible is gray. I'll give you my favorite example of why the Bible is gray and not just black and white.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's an example where it almost sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. Okay. So Matthew chapter five in the new Testament, Matthew's the first book of the new Testament and Jesus in Matthew five is teaching what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, um, Let your light so shine before others that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, less than a chapter later, Jesus says, Don't do your good deeds to be seen by others.
0: Okay.
1: Do you see the conflict? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. So Matthew 5, he says, let everybody see your good deeds. Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't let anybody see your good deeds. Yeah. Well, which is it, Jesus? Like, wait, 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 wait. Which is it? Give me black or white. Do I let people see the good that I'm doing or don't I? And here's why this is masterful, I think, by Jesus and why I say it's gray. If you ask the question, should I let people see my good deeds? In other words, I'm I'm helping a neighbor who is in need. It's something good. I'm serving my neighbor. That's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Do I tell people about it? Do I let people witness it? Or do I do it when it's dark and nobody's noticing, you know, do it in secret? Which is it, Jesus? And I think that he would answer my question with a question. Why do you want to know? Which is it? Because here's the the context is different from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6. In Matthew 5, Jesus is saying to his disciples, let your light so shine before others that they see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. In Matthew 6, the next chapter, Jesus is talking to people who like people to notice what they're doing so they are noticed. Mm -hmm. And who gets the glory? The person doing the good deed. So if it's all about your own glory, don't let anybody see it. If you want God to get the glory, by all means, let everybody see it. See the difference?
0: Yeah.
1: Now... There are all kinds of things like this in the Bible where you have to figure out, which is it? Do I go left or right? right. Because there's this fork in the road. There's a it seems to be a conflict. The Bible is telling me to do it both ways. Let it be seen. Don't let it be seen. Which is it? Well, if you want to glorify God, let it be seen. If you want to glorify yourself, don't let anybody see it. Well, it becomes that simple, but you have, kind of have to have the key, right? Yeah. What's What's the key to discerning which it is? Experience, you know. The more you come to know the Bible by reading it, understanding it, um, the Book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about this. It's Hebrews chapter five, it says those who are wise, those who are mature, uh, they they by constant use of the Scriptures are able to discern good from evil by constant use so the more you get to know it the more you understand okay god would have me do this god would have me do this god would have me do this and you're able to figure out which of those commands it is
0: it's the bible itself can be i mean is confusing at times where I mean, even in the fact that it's been translated how yep. many times yep. from this source all the way back into yep. Old Testament It is
1: complicated. <laughs> it's confusing, it's complicated. Um the, the book of Romans, actually it's Romans chapter eleven, says how unsearchable the ways of God. How unsearchable the mind of God and beyond our tracing out. Which is, I think, is absolutely true. If, if you want to try to figure God out, you could be, you could study the Bible every single day for the entire day for an entire lifetime, and you would not exhaust the complexity of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Well, to talk about unbelievable things, I we were talking before um, last week about. How like the evolution and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and I I remembered it came to me what I like had thought about, and I came up with this idea all the way back in like high school. And we always talk in church about how God is omnipresent, where mm-hmm. He is everywhere at once. Right. But that's yep. the definition. Right. Okay. Okay. So with omnipresence comes that He would be He's in everywhere in time and at once as well. I mean that right. holds together with. Like space and time, and yep. the math that we find, or the science mm-hmm. that we find in today, is, and it holds together with the scripture. Now, if we go back to like Genesis, to mm-hmm. this could be all bonkers. Okay, from my perspective. Let's but, hear the theory. Let's yep, go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it says that Jesus took seven days to create yep. Earth as we know
1: it. It doesn't say Jesus, but it says but God. Great. We got took six days, actually, and he rested on the seventh. So, right. yeah, but yeah, six days. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Six days. Yeah.
0: Time is anything to God. Right, right. How are we able to discern his six days from our six days?
1: Right. Yep. And that's, that's actually one argument for uh, what is known as theistic evolution, okay. that God has guided evolution. Mm-hmm. That... Well, it's actually called the day age theory and the idea that when, when it says on the first day, this happened on the second day, this happened on the third day, this happened um, that, that day, quote unquote day doesn't have to mean in Genesis one and two, it doesn't have to mean a 24 hour period can't it mean a thousand years ten thousand years a hundred thousand years sure it could i mean there are places in the bible says to god a day is like a thousand years which is in the context and i always say you have to understand this in context the um when he says a day is like a thousand years it's talking about god's patience Mm. he kind of takes the long view of history We want it now. We want it today. Mm -hmm. Where God says, this may take a thousand years for this to come around. Mm -hmm. You know, we want racism to be done in, you know, in in the world everywhere now, Instantaneously. instantaneously. And yet for whatever reason, in God's more infinite understanding and wisdom, he allows that there's still this evil of racism in the world.
0: Right.
1: You know. Where we would want it now, today, God is much more patient, and he's, you know, he's working on it. So anyway, you have to be careful about that, you know, a day is, or is a thousand years to God, because that's not exactly what it means that when Genesis 1 says a day, well, that could be a thousand years.
0: Yeah. It, it, it could be. You can't but, take a verse and splice it back in front right, of in, right. and, in, in and,
1: and and right. And honestly, Genesis 1 has many greater complications mm-hmm. than that question. Of whether a day is a 24 hour period or a thousand years or a million years. Um, in essence, you have to understand that in the Bible, and this time discerning what the Bible says, there are different styles of writing compiled into the Bible. Yeah, that
0: would make sense.
1: There are historic documents in the Bible they are just telling the historical account of what happened for the people of Israel for Jesus and the disciples those are historic accounts there's also poetry you read poetry different than you read history so the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is all poetry well the book of Psalms says the Lord is my rock and my salvation. Does that mean God literally is a rock? No, he's not a rock. God, God is like a rock in the sense that, you know, just like you you put a giant boulder in the middle of your front yard. It's not going to be easily moved. Is it? You don't just put your shoulder into it and say, I'm going to move this. I'm going to move it. No, no. God is like a rock in that he's not easily moved. And where sand moves with the with waves and the tide, rocks stay steady. Where some soil and uh, and flowers and grass might erode away because of the heavy rains, the rock stays. God is like a rock in that way. Well, you would read poetry in a different way than you read the historical books, right? In addition then especially the first eleven chapters of Genesis are a kind of um, uh, a, a kind of narrative that's not historic narrative so much as a um, uh, like a, um, symbolic okay. language much like Re- if, if you read the book of Revelation which is at the other end of the Bible
0: which is.
1: Uh, the, the last book of the Bible, mm-hmm. it's it's actually very strange. What we call apocalyptic language. Right. It, it's a story that is all in code.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's almost like if you tell a story about the Avengers, but there's a moral to the story. Even though we want to take a lesson from uh, from the Avengers that we apply to our world today. It doesn't mean the Avengers is real, right? No one believes that there are these beings that can fly into outer space and they they're, um, they have uh, powers to fly and um, crush things with supernatural power and shoot laser beams out of their eyes and things like this, right? Nobody believes that they're actual beings like that. But the story is told to, be, to have a moral to it. The book of Revelation is told in that kind of... It's a, it's a story with a meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And it's all in code, so it's all symbolic to say, here's the real deal. Jesus is, vic- is a, Jesus is victorious, and if you're on the side of Jesus, you will be victorious too. It's the whole book of Revelation. Okay. <laughs> so now go to the other end of the Bible again. Go to Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. The Genesis 1 and 2 which is this, the creation account mm-hmm. is not intended. It was not intended when it was written. It's not intended today. It's not intended by God when he inspired writers to, to write it all down. Genesis one and two is not intended to be a scientific manual on how the world works. Right. Okay. It is intended to be an accounting of one simple fact Everything that has been made and that we see and experience in this world, space, time, earth, plants, animals, you name it, everything that we experience and see was created by God out of absolutely nothing. There was nothing but God, and he made everything. Now, how that came about Genesis 1 is sort of a, a symbolic, poetic way of expressing he made light and dark. He made seas and land. He made animals and plants. He made the sky and the seas. He made human beings in his likeness and gave them the breath of life. So how that all came about and how atoms hold together and how uh, how whole galaxies hold together that's not what the intention of Genesis 1 and 2 is nor whether it was a specifically 24-hour day Mm -hmm. night and day night and day it's intended to be a message to say everything was made by God period period Period. yeah so now we talked about last week. We talked about evolution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I believe that there is microevolution. Right there's adaptation by by the creatures that God has made, human beings, other animals, vegetation. There's adaptation. There's microevolution. But I still do not see evidence, whether you look at this biblically or scientifically. And I actually don't believe you should actually separate the two. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right.
1: Whether you're looking at it biblically or scientifically, I don't see evidence that there was macro evolution, that you're actually going from one species to another, even over long, long periods of time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is a way that people read the evidence. And I believe that a way people read the evidence is this was all made by a being far more powerful and intelligent than we could ever dream. And I don't understand it, but it was created by someone bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. That's a way of interpreting the evidence. A way of interpreting the evidence is evolution, but I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know. It was... I do Yeah, yeah. I, that, yeah, nothing I mean, nothing more than a thought in giving the context right. of yeah. Genesis. I, right. I never knew that. Yeah, um, they should give it a disclaimer in front of every chapter in the Bible. Being like, <laughs> this is how to read this. This book. is how
1: to read this particular chapter. This is historical. This is, historical. This is not historical. Now right. take
0: it out of context, right. please. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I and I say that you know I, I really want to be careful how you interpret different parts of the Bible. And again, you, you learn it over experience, how you interpret different parts of it. But I want to make that really clear because there are some who will say, no, the Bible is literal. You have to take the Bible literally. Well, does that mean that God is literally a rock? When Jesus actually says, I am the door. Does that mean that Jesus is the door over there? No he says he is like the door in that if anyone would come into the place where his sheep are, mm-hmm. they have to come through him. Like right. if you're going to get to my sheep. You have to come through me. That's kind of the, the expression. And, uh, that's why he says, I, I'm the door. Jesus also says, I'm the good shepherd. Well, if he's a good shepherd, that means we're sheep. Does that mean that we're literally sheep? No. Right. It's, it's an expression.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a metaphor. The Bible is full of these metaphors. Now, that doesn't mean I take the Bible as less serious. I, I, in fact, I have a very high view of the Bible and believe that God did inspire it. He, did, he inspired people for centuries to write down his revelation to human beings. And it is what we have in the Bible. I have a very high view of that. But I think you have to understand it properly, right? Yeah. So you can't just take it literally. Um, Here's the other thing. Um, A lot of what the Bible says was written to people in, some things were written 1,500 years before Jesus. And Jesus was 2,000 years ago. That means we're talking about 3,500 to 4,000 years ago, some of this was written down. And then... Translated as you've said into our language, um some of it was written down two thousand years ago. We didn't have cars. We didn't have internet. We didn't have skyscrapers and telephones and things like that.
0: We didn't have tennis shoes. They wore sandals. Sure, right. The so t- there, so there are
1: things spoken into that cultural context. And what we have to do, and this is a big part of my job as a pastor, actually, and maybe this is you know, a way of coming full circle, like, yeah. why are you a pastor? Um, one of my jobs is actually helping to take understanding the you know what was written in that context of 3,000 years ago, taking the principle from what is said in that historical context and apply that principle to today in our context where there is internet, and cars, and tennis shoes, and iPods, and you name it. Things Things that were never dreamed of even 100 years ago, much less 2,000 years ago. So it's taking, we we, uh, sometimes call it the principalizing bridge. Taking the principle of what God says in the Word of God, in the Bible, in the historical context of that day, and applying it to today. And so, I mean, we could go on and on and on about how that happens and what that means. And again, teaching people to fish, not just giving them the fish, so they can understand, well, how do I take and interpret what it said 2,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, and apply that to today? Mm. Because I want to have, you know, how do I deal with things like racism? Yeah that we are seeing prominently on display in our world today. Uh, the the reaction to racism uh, and the violence and the looting and things like that. How do we respond to that?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, the Bible doesn't address that by saying, well, there, there's going to be this time in 2020 where this and then this and then this happens.
0: It kind
1: of escalates. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't say that in the yeah. Bible, right? It tells right. it tells the accounts, historical accounts of what happened with God's people at other times, and we can take what happened with them and learn from them, and then take those principles and apply them to today. It just means that you have to know history a little bit, you have to know uh, what what the Bible's saying, right. and and then combine that all together. You know, again, it's like taking the coalescing of all of that into a new time. It's
0: like true innovation. True
1: innovation. True innovation. There you go, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again to bring it full circle, maybe in <laughs> the, the conversation. To uh, that's a big part of my job. What I do as a pastor is uh, really, in essence, serve as a prophetic voice, speaking on God's behalf for the day that we're in, mm-hmm. taking what I know of the Bible and historical context. And apply that to today. It's a huge part of my job. And I love it because it, it makes me seek out what God actually does say in the Bible because the times are challenging and figuring out when to speak and when to step back and listen, when to stand up boldly for a cause, and when to pick your battles and decide not to step into a particular battle. You know all that when we're trying to figure that out, and wrestle with it. That I mean that that's what I have to when when we're wrestling with it, I have to go back to the Bible and say, "Well, here's here's what happened before." Yeah. Here's what happened in the time of Solomon, or in the time of David, a thousand years before Jesus, and try to try try to put the pieces together. Right. And innovate for our day. Innovate the Bible. That's right for our day. For our day. Which is not to say we change oh, the Bible. No. Of course not. Uh, we don't change the Bible, but we
0: don't the
1: but the Bible, uh, I think, does shape the way we view the world even today,
0: right.
1: even two thousand years after the last book of the Bible was written.
0: Hundred oh, percent. Well, um, we hit like the one hour one mark. hour mark. Yeah. All right, that was
1: that Went like that, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Yeah, it's, it's great fun. Time yeah we could do it again we sometime if, yeah. if you're willing you weren't completely bored to tears by this or uh or offended <laughs> then you can come back and we'll do it again we can have further discussion totally different topics if you want or or say you know what you said something in the last time we were together and i want to just expand on it. fine yeah go for it love to do it again
0: this is wonderful
1: all right yeah thanks adam all right
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast, and if you did, make sure you leave a comment if you wish. As always, I'm your host, Adam Schmidt, saying bye-bye for now.